this is my favorite topic yet. And there's so many to this goal by the end of this is that we actually have like a youth athlete roadmap for you. So many different ways to begin. So Keegan, just fire us off and we'll keep going around. Youth athlete development. I got thrown in the deep end at the Catalan Dragons uh, at Parramatta, actually. This, my, my career as a strength coach started with junior athletes and I was put in charge of the junior elite talent squad of the National Rugby League team, which is the equivalent of the NFL, but we have a different structure in Australia where we the teams have junior teams instead of the college system. So I had this group of young men and I was charged with helping as many of them as possible to make the pros. So I trained them at six o'clock in the morning for free, uh, an hour away from where I lived twice a week uh, in the winter and it was pretty cold. Uh, and that, that was how my career started as a coach. Those young men, a number of them did make the pros and it was extremely satisfying to have been their coach. I was around the same age as them. I was training hard myself, but I was a skinny little kid and they were big, you know, alpha kids. And so it was a challenge to coach them. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the journey and I would do things differently to what I do now. But I think what was common about, you know, what happened then and what happens now is buying into the bigger the bigger journey, the bigger picture of deciding to be a pro and professionalism and really valuing training. For sure, I was doing that. I was filming their movements and I was giving them feedback. And I think that that is a huge part. Like you have to decide to go pro long before you actually get to being pro. And if that can happen in the gym, that can be a huge advantage because a lot of kids don't get that. They don't make that decision very early on. And so now we have this technology of ATG that allows us to have less issues with tendons. And to me, that's the magic, the big piece of ATG. Why I first fell in love with ATG was like no more tendon issues. And that has literally been the case for me. All my tendons have progressively got better if I've ever flared up a tendon. So what that means for a junior athlete is there's more potential to push harder in your sport. Now for Ben, that's been dunking. He's been getting close to getting his head on the rim. But for whatever sport you're in, if you can practice it more than everybody else because you don't get overuse injuries, then you've got a competitive advantage. And so understanding the ATG system and, and diving into you know, why it works the way it does and, and getting things solved to you know, using the system, you're going to have that ability to be able to train more uh, than other athletes. And I, I think like for me, that's still the thing. And I'm pretty sure, Ben, you know, you're operating on this paradigm as well of like do a lot of it and do it better and you know, refine the skills as much as possible. We're going to be focused more on the strength side in this conversation. But for me, also the the skills piece and that general base of skills. Most most of the best athletes that I worked with, they were close in a number of sports. They were pretty good at golf. They were pretty good at tennis, and they happen to be great rugby league players who could smash it other humans and and you know do that very skillfully. Um, so I would also encourage these athletes to continue to build and and refine their broad base of skills as well as that specificity. Um, something that I that I believe in uh, deeply, which is spatial awareness of being able to you know be okay on a trampoline be okay on a basketball court be okay on a soccer field and then go super hard at whatever it is that that you want to be great at but you can avoid injuries and and be able to train more through some variation in exposing yourself to other stimulus and using the atg training system is just you know a blessing that i, I wish i would have had i mean i would have gone to the olympics if i'd have had atg i, I have very little doubt and i would have been an olympian do I regret that I didn't go down that path and I got to live the life that I'm living? Like, no, now I don't. But at that time, you know, I would have given anything to have access to this. So a youth athlete who understands this is in a phenomenal position. And yeah, I'm excited for this this conversation here. Tennis, 
uh, you know, Ben's worked with athletes, Ben Clapshaw worked with athletes in all different sports and, and played high level uh, himself with the basketballs. Yeah, so looking forward to, to hearing the different perspectives on this one. Great intro. Keegan has so much experience with this. And actually, in person, Marcel was really our guy. When you had a really young athlete, it actually could be really tough to train them. And Marcel was like <laughs> like a legend. Like we, we were blown away by how he was able to like get kids to learn movements that are that are tougher to learn. I'd love to hear what Marcel has to say on this. So when it comes to, to training kids, I feel like there's going to be two people listening to this podcast. One is going to be parents with concerns. You know, there's a lot of information out there. In it's got to be 99% parents. At this exactly, stage. exactly. And the other, you know, I'm, I know that there's kids tuning into you and the content that you make. So this is also going to be all that just to Just to interrupt, We've actually had in the ADG for coaches, a few teenagers, like under 18 that have joined the coaches and that have actually been real stars. I'm not going to mention names because whatever, but there's a few of them that have actually come up and done phenomenally. So I think you're right about mostly it's parents, but at the same time, there's a few young people that I wish at the age of 16, 17, I'd kicked into this and gotten this community and this advice about working out. I mean, I, it would be, as Keegan says, it would be life-changing. I would have played a much higher level of athleticity and athletic performance. I, I, so, so there is a significant quantity of younger people that because of the internet and, you know, the good parts that they're getting information that their own training getting out of pain. Anyway, so there's a few of them in the community that I just have to say, it's kind of an interesting, uh, almost surprising, magical bonus that we're getting kids that are actually getting in on the coaching. Anyway, that's the, in my interjection, sorry. Preston Bree did that with Charles Poliquin and started on his work at a young age and is one of the most successful college strength coaches in the world. So, so yeah, Marcel, I guess you're speaking to both. You're on the money. It's very true. I, I, ben, I know that you were one of those kids that you did your own research and you were trying to find a way to be able to enhance your ability to be a basketball player. So this also is going to be helpful for kids that listen in and give themselves some tools or references that they could either show their parents that may be insecure about it or their coaches. But anyways, I have here actually a couple of studies just so that people understand. This isn't my personal opinion. This is medical literature from uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics posted April 2008. It's a study, it's a review called Strength Training by Children and Adolescents. Just so that people understand what growth plate means, because when it comes to medical literature, it's important to understand what the words mean. And the growth plate is the area of tissue near the ends of long bones in children and teens that determines the future length and shape of the mature bone. So in this review, what they've concluded is appropriate strength training programs have no apparent adverse or negative effects on linear growth growth plates or cardiovascular system. So that was that was a piece of data that when I was growing up, I didn't want to go to the gym all that often because I, I thought it would stunt my growth. But actually that, that rumor or that piece of information is not founded. It's not seen in the medical literature. The other piece of information that I want to cover is this other review called Weightlifting for Children and Adolescents, a narrative review. This is also on uh, PubMed, and here they write, the conclusions from these observations was that if training and competition are age group appropriate and are appropriately supervised, weightlifting training and competition can be substantially safer and more efficacious than have been generally believed. 
Compelling arguments indicate that weightlifting training and related strength training activities can substantially reduce the injury potential of other activities and sports and enhance health-related outcomes and potentially longevity. Under qualified supervision, age-appropriate training programs that consider the biological maturity of athletes are associated with improved performance and enhanced physiological and psychosocial health. Although weightlifting for children and adolescents has been heavily scrutinized, the incidence and severity of injury is low under proper supervision that includes proper technique and fatigue management strategies, these activities are no more injurious than other sport activities. Both observational and empirical evidence indicates that weightlifting can be a safe and efficacious activity for young athletes. I apologize for the ramble, but this is information that I think is pertinent to the conversation and is going to help give people a little more certainty that it's okay for their children to start strength training. And as we saw in that second study, it actually helps with our idea of what we call bulletproofing when they go up and play their sports. Because Ben, you didn't do all that much weightlifting. Did you get injured playing basketball? Yeah, exactly. And it's an important foundation. What we're going to outline today creates a youth program that looks nothing like any broad youth program I've ever seen. However, it is built on the idea that it is okay to, well, it's built on the idea that it's safer to play your sport with strengths to support it. So, so I think even though that's like very medically sounding, however, you know, it, and, and the people I'm sure using that data are not creating a program like what, what we are, but it's still the same foundation that it's not like something that people need to fear. And, and really, if you look at youth sports injuries, you're, you're like, you're in a line of sheep off a cliff of those statistics unless you do something about it. And you can, sports have unnatural or overused aspects, so you can strengthen to prevent that abuse. So Ben Clairfield, continue this conversation. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, you know, a bit more of a, an, you know, a global view. I love everything that's uh, being talked about. I think this is really important. I think there's a lot of things that can be said about this and, and there's some practical and some sort of overarching global maybe a bit of a trite statement that, you know, our children are the future or something like that. And I think there's truth in that. And I think we're looking yes. at a bit of an ugly future. If we look at the statistics from obesity and mental health and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about for a half a second is in all the data on, there's so much data, there's so much data that no one's saying don't take medical treatment if needs be, but on anxiety, depression, Obesity, obviously, there's so many things that exercise is the number one marker of a solution. And that's just globally, generally, not the specific forms, which we're going to discuss. So I think we can enter in that conversation where, you know, if you can, it's, it's much more difficult to deal with a 60 year old that has had 50 years of terrible habits and injuries than it is to have an 11 year old start fresh with less baggage. And I can tell a story of one of my favorite athletes I've trained over the last 11 years. He's a kid that is not genetically gifted. You know, we, we, we talk about Ben being an, you know, you being a gym athlete, you know, you, your athleticism came from lifting and doing all the things that we do. Um, this kid is that he, his parents, he decided he wanted to very small kid when he was 11 years old, his parents said, my child has decided to play rugby and he is very small and he runs, you know, it looks like he has terrible motor mechanics when he runs. The father used worse language. Uh, and I said, can you fix his running? He was running. I said, don't worry. That'll 
work itself out. And, uh, you know, after 11 years, the, you know, he's got looks at playing pro rugby in potentially in Europe. And he just, uh, with his team, is one of the captains of his team, is a scrum half. He's an absolute rig. He squatted 150 kilos and about 72 kilos body weight. Pretty strong. Um, and, you know, he's one of the faster athletes on the field and he is not genetically gifted. He can do Nordics with load. And, uh, and this is all just slowly but steadily chipping away. And it's been 11 years. So it's not been some miraculous transformation. It's taken a lot of time to recalibrate motion and make sure his movements. And he's had a few horrific injuries that we've rehabbed him from. And he has trust in that is such that he believes that he can fix himself because or with our help. And, uh, and yeah, so he just took, uh, silver medal in the national championship uh university national championship against a very serious squad with former pros in canada what some of the schools do is they stack their teams university teams with 25 26 27 or eight year olds that have played in australia or in europe and they're now doing their degree so there's there's a lot of that stuff and they they got a silver medal they played a very serious squad and you know and again this is one of these things but but i think keegan's point is interesting is you can't predict the future i didn't know that he was going to make it this far he said i want to play rugby and as his strength coach or even if i was his technical coach which i'm not i have no prediction i can't say hey this kid's gonna make it all the way i don't know how far they're gonna make it i've got another basketball kid that i've taken on uh i've trained him for also 11 years since he's 15 he played division one he was very small from uh he's from the, the projects here and it's it's one of my uh my uh, scholarship athletes that i've taken on for 11 years now and he's getting a g league tryout in vegas now so and pandemic was very hard. He played Division One in the States and he came from Canada. So very talented. I don't know how far he's going to go. But what I know is I've spent time making their movement as, as good as possible and, and and doing all the stuff that we do in ATG. But but I think the cool thing is that you get to develop a long-term relationship. And I'm not their father. I'm not their mother. But there's something about big brother or big sister sort of attitude where they listen to you and you can really affect positivity and show them that if they work hard, these kids, that if they work hard, good things can happen. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee he's going to make the NBA. There's no guarantee this kid's going to go play pro in France or whatever. But you know, the other kid, and and I think there's something absolutely rewarding about that. And the other thing is, I think there's an illusion that most athletes are 30 that are going to walk through your door. Now you've had that experience, Ben Keegan. You've had that. But actually, Keegan's saying something that's a bit more true is that very often the top athletes that you get, they come when they're 14 or 13 or 15 or 16, and you have a few years to really show good work because they have the concerted effort and time to put in early and then that can really launch them forward. And it's something, you know, I'm always the, Charles told me, but Charles said, often people think that athletes still come in when they're tw- in their mid twenties or 30 or what. No, they often come in when they're young and that's the opportunity that people get. And you're just there and it's someone's kid or someone's aunt's nephew. And you know, they come in and they're being referred and you've done good things with people's knees. You've done good things with people's shoulders. And you get results and they come and suddenly you have someone that's in the NHL or you have someone that's in the NBA or you have someone in the NFL or the NRL or any of these things or a tennis pro. And it sort of surprises you. And I never looked out to seek NFLers, but but I had fully grown NFLers walk through my door. And that was a bit of a strange thing. Charles said, he told me he was in my office. We were sitting and he talked to me. He said, the way you're going to get your pro is it's going to be someone's hockey kid that their nephew is going to come in or their, their teammate is going to come in and they're going to get sponsored and you're going to have an NHLer. And that's not what happened. Surprisingly enough, in Canada, I actually had a fully grown NFL or walk through the door, which is a str- very strange thing. And my relationship with the NFL went that way, which is, again, very strange considering I'm in Toronto and not many NFLers want to be in the cold of Toronto in, in February when they can be in Florida. But I think the thing with the youth athlete is understanding that it really gets to the focus of what we're doing. And I know I'm rambling, but I think that's the thing that, that you have to want to train kids. You have to like that. You have to understand that it has to be fun. 
and the numbers of the metrics are sort of hidden. But you have to make it fun for them. And you have to understand that their sport is probably more fun for them. But if you can get them to understand that doing what we do in the gym will allow them to play their sport better, that's really key. And I think all the other stuff is the mental health and a place that they can come and do something positive, work on their body in a positive way. I think these are really important things that uh, are training youth athletes. And and what we do then with the HEG system is we care more about, and we've talked about this again and again and again, is range of motion first and proper movement patterns, and thereafter we load it. And I think that's another way that Marcel, we can build on what Marcel is saying from a safety point of view, is, okay, they're, they're getting range of motion first, and then we add load in the appropriate time. And it allows parents, if they watch it, to see it as not just like, okay, here's a squat bar, let's go, full 1RM, that kind of stuff. So there's a layering in time they can do it. And as they get better and the kids tell their parents, I feel better, I'm moving faster, I'm jumping, everything feels better, then they, they start to trust you. So as they say, Charles taught me this, everything moves at the speed of trust. Everything moves at the speed of trust. So you get the trust of the kid, you get the trust of the parent, all this kind of stuff. You help them move better, feel better, and all kinds of good things happen. So so I have more things to say, but I'll 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 pause at that because I think no, no, I'm, I'm really passionate about this. But yeah, I think it's a great topic and a great topic for everyone. Yeah, that was huge. And I'll conclude up our kind of opening round. And then on as we go around the table again, let's mock up, subject to change, but let's try to mock up the world's best foundational youth program ever. That's our goal, right? I always shoot big. So we will try to actually live create a foundational program. And, and at this stage with this podcast, we're definitely talking about the kids setup, meaning not like 18 years old, but quite literally like youth youth. So I feel like there's so much that could be covered on this. I actually prepare for each round table by kind of doing a round table in my own head beforehand for a few hours. And like, and I list the number of things because we can only say so much on one round table. So I was at 13 different things that I'm like, I have to mention these 13. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, let me try to whittle this down. So here's what I whittled it down to just a few. The first is we have to unlearn that there's only one way to be successful in a sport and that that way is by hard driving yourself at that sport more than anyone else. Because I assumed this. Now, I'm sure there's examples of that, but let's take some real examples. My sport's basketball, right? So most people, if you ask them who's the best basketball player ever, they would say Michael Jordan. I already had chronic knee problems by the time that guy even took basketball serious enough to even start impacting his knees. My knee muscles didn't form right. There's no Michael Jordan if he trained as hard as I did growing up. No Michael Jordan. So I was completely, he didn't take basketball seriously until he was about 16 years old, which is probably a good time to start getting really freaking serious. And you can see in the pictures, he already has well-defined BMOs. So then if, so then if someone's going to argue MJ, they usually say Kobe or LeBron. Well, Kobe was playing soccer in Italy and Kobe spoke out tremendously against the American system of how much the youth are playing basketball and that they go to these tournaments and play five, seven games in a weekend. So Kobe was speaking out against the same idea that you had. And when Kobe came over to America, he said all the other kids were ahead of him. Well, by 18, Kobe's throwing down 360 dunks, meaning his body wasn't so used up that he had already burnt out his joints at such a young age or prevented and kind of stunted a more natural development of the muscles around the knees. So MJ, Kobe, neither of them trained as hard as I did on basketball growing up. LeBron, you could also say is the greatest player ever in his own ways. LeBron was an all-state football player at 16 years old. Factually, 
There's no fucking way LeBron played as much basketball as I did. It's impossible if you add up the hours in the day because I believe I was going to out-practice everyone in the world. I was going to train more hours per day. Kobe was famous for this six days a week, six hours or something. Well, I didn't take the seventh day off, but I had the same six-hour philosophy starting at age nine. So Kobe was already a fully formed man by the time he was doing that. There's evidence that Kobe could squat four plates per side with chains. And meaning, okay, clearly the guy was strong, but I was doing this built on top of undeveloped muscles to support this around the knees. So then someone will say, yeah, but what about Wilt Chamberlain? Wilt Chamberlain was like one of the top track athletes in the country, in college even, meaning Wilt didn't start specializing in basketball. So the top four, by far, the top four people that people say top basketball player ever, MJ, Kobe, LeBron, Wilt Chamberlain, none of them did what every kid in America is trying to do to become them. So that's number one false thing we have to unlearn. And Keegan touched on that right in the opening statement. So there is something not quite right. And this may vary based on sport. I'm only going to pretend to be an expert on basketball because I'm an expert on basketball. Each sport is probably going to be different. Maybe football, maybe if you practice fo played football as much as I played basketball, maybe you'd have concussion problems. I don't know. But basketball, factually, if you want to give, you know, if, if statistically you want to give yourself the best chance, you're going to have to pace yourself and you're going to have to build a body because the number two thing is then the confusion that doing sports specific drills is an advantage in sports. There's no evidence of this yet because the top, top guys in sports, or we could say tons of these examples of them, they got good at the sporting motion through mastering those skills and when you start training people extensively you find out that these quote-unquote freak of nature athletes are pound for pound so much stronger than your average person mj could bench 380 pounds look up earl boykins who was 135 pounds five foot five famous basketball player and he had never done a bench press before and he makes it to the nba five five hundred thirty five pounds day one bench press is 300 pounds do you know what do you know what animal can jump the highest in the world it's the fleet it's also pound for pound the strongest animal and it has the highest vertical jump so when you start training these freak athletes you realize they didn't do more sports specific drills necessarily they didn't burn themselves out at a young age doing only one sport and pound for pound it is literally easier for them to animate their body through space and so that leads to my final point on this of the unlearning process which is then okay we establish pound for pound go ask the average strength coach what that means oh push-ups pull-ups yeah what about your fucking ankles and legs and hamstrings that's what we have with atg some a kid who buys a nordic bench for their garage and you you can guarantee any kid can get good at chin-ups or push-ups or something if they put in the work it's the same with your hamstrings so yes, maybe squats and deadlifts and heavy loading of the spine, do we need to rush that process? Like maybe that could work, but I don't think we have to rush that process. And Charles, and so let's get right, let's transition. That was my rant of what we have to unlearn and let's transition into the actual exercises and sets and reps that we would introduce as a foundation because Charles Paulovin gave me one really good clue. And at the time, I didn't understand it. Now I do, which is that with the youth athlete, you, you usually think of like, oh, build from the core out. But he said the opposite. He said build from the extremity. 
And then as you get older, then you start to build like the core's ability to handle loads. So rather than thinking barbell squat, you could be on a slant board building VMOs without even risking any heavy quote unquote loading or whatever. Like it's still going to set you up for more squat success. Same with building your hamstrings with your body weight. I actually think a tip bar, I think when a kid starts lifting weight, so as soon as you get an age where, where you want to start lifting weight, be lifting weights with your ankles, be building your hamstrings. I think any kid could like 100 to a thousand X their odds of making it because the odds are extreme. But if you look at my track record and other people who have taken these unusual routes and then done them for extensive years, you can manipulate your genetics tremendously. So let's, so let's go, Keegan, what other exercises, what exercises, Keegan, you are now the head of Olympic development for a country and you have full reign and you get to start with kids at a young age, what exercises, so this is not saying anything against squats or deadlifts or anything, because really, you know, we're going to want to use it all, but it's more like, what are we starting with? Great question. And, and Josh yeah. edit out my F words because I used like two or three F words on a children's podcast. <laughs> That's just how much passion I have on this subject because of the work I put in, not on the right route. And it's false. Work hard. It pays off. False. What route are you on? You could work yourself to knee surgeries or you can work yourself to being a freak athlete with bulletproof knees. It's about the route and the work ethic. So Keegan, carry us forward. They've heard it before then, and they'll be, they'll be better for it hearing it from you in this context. So it's, it's, it's worth it, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how they go with edits. The, this scenario is actually one that we're looking to play out. You know, we, we were in discussion with the Vanuatu government of taking over their Olympic sports program. They usually have five or six athletes go to the Olympics. They've never had a medalist. They've had medalists at the Commonwealth Games, uh, which is you know, what Australia participates in at the old uh, British sort of America opted out of that at some stage. I think there was a story about that, but yeah, Canada's still in there. Uh, I, w- I would want to have this opportunity. And we're also got the, the vision, the ambition with Vanuatu to have a player reach the Premier League, you know, have, have the player reach the highest level in soccer. Uh, soccer is really their national sport and they've had players reach the Australian league, which is, you know, not big time, but it's, it's, it's a big deal for them. It's a country of 300,000 people. It's one of the poorest countries. It's also one of the beautiful, most beautiful, happiest, uh, countries on earth as well. And, and we have a good relation with the government and the government's very positive about that. So this is the real scenario for us. What are we going to do? You're constructing yeah. a youth gym. What are you putting in? What culture are you building? What exercises are your athletes going to get better at? Than any other youth athlete, it's it's never been better laid out than what we have there with the zero building. I, I'm a huge fan of like the KOT calf raise. I think it's it's good. there's more to it than the calf raise. I think you get an ankle mobility. The way I would promote it to a young athlete, which I think is important for all coaches to consider, is this is a very acceleration specific position. You, when you're leaning forward and you're running fast and you're getting started, this is the position that you need to be strong in. And if you can handle a lot of force in the lower leg, when you're in that position, then you're going to be able to go faster. The athlete who's zero to five, fastest over zero to five, tends to make the most money, all other factors being equal. So we want to be strong to be able to put a lot of force into the ground. We're going to make your hips really strong, but we have to have the capacity down the chain where the foot, where the, you know, the foot hits the ground to be able to handle uh, and transfer that force safely. So this is going to make you faster. It's going to make you make more money, you more chance of making the pros. If you're the first in the ball, if you're the first off the mark, 
that's a huge thing in almost you know all real sports, athletic sports. And so much easier to build young than waiting to have knee and problems. Not that it can't be done. Look, we're all living proof of that. An ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Now, Marcel was mentioning Nordic. Why, why would you use that? What kind of sets and reps do you do? Well, what I was going to say, <clears throat> as much as I do like the Nordic, I was going to defer to the split squat for specific reasons. So I am switching to the split squat. But, uh, maybe you can touch on the Nordic. But the reason why I chose split squat is because it is a single leg exercise. And when you're very young, the, the earlier you can get to strengthening both of your extremities that are taking a lot of impact, that are responsible for the deceleration of your running, the, the stronger you can get those in a balanced manner. I mean, the split squat also, the lengthening of the back leg, there are many different positions that one ends up in a sport that being able to have the capacity to lengthen the leg behind them. Even in things like sprinting, being able to have the, the hips elastic enough to be able to fully express your your the power behind your posterior chain, that's going to play a massive role. So definitely including split squats in youth training, I would highly prioritize that as it trains both sides, it protects the knees, and it also enhances ankle mobility at the bottom for the front leg and the length of the back leg. So it's such, such an athletic squat that will address the body in a very balanced manner. So for a child, that is up to you. That's such a great and key one because the reality is if we're going to maximize our chances, we are going to have to increase that pound for pound strength. And squats go up easier and safer built or really any maximal leg work built on the quality of the split squat. So believe it or not, I'm 31. I'm kind of still in the midst of following this plan. I'm testing chains right now to get them right so that we have standard chains. And I'm driving up my chain squat, but it feels unbelievable to squat because of the quality of my split squat. So I'm still I'm still on this. I'm like reliving my childhood and built on this split squat. That is a cheat code. Now, I will interject the Nordic because I actually had a very serious question that what we really want is to have both the Nordic and the hamstring curl machine for maximum benefit. And this is why we use the Nordic really like every other week once we start, like once we build the foundation long term, we're looking at every other week. It's a very powerful exercise. What I wanted to know from from Ben Clairfield is Keegan, all right, in our, in our mocked up world here of the Olympics, we have this gym. We want to stage things by age so that they can build pride in what they're doing and not be looking at things that they aren't doing yet. So we have that Nordic bench that we know we can start from a very early age. Marcel would lift up the bench for youth athletes. So they're mastering amazing form, not just flopping around, like unbelievable form. And then we gradually lower the front end of the bench down flat. When are we adding that hamp curl machine? Immediately. We have like nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds on leg curls. The way I would think about the entry point for youth athletes is actually letting strength come later. So in some ways, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the coaching calls where at the end of the day, historically, we have to understand that we're in the realm of Russian periodization, which is a significant quantity of general prep. And if you think about it this way, that youth athletes will improve by significant quantity of general prep, meaning a, a significant quantity of different movement patterns. 
and making sure that everyone can move in these ways. That's why I love the split squat. I love the idea of calf work. I love, and I would say, I would jump, I said, let curls, you know, entry now to protect people's needs. You know, there's a few data points. There's an absolute uh, epidemic, especially with women. I, I don't have the data in front of me, but with young women and young girls with ACL tears in soccer, volleyball, and basketball. And it's an absolute epidemic. And if we can just have leg curls and the split squats, just at that and calf work, I mean, again, that's sort of the basics of ATG. Um, where I would say I wouldn't, I, I would sort of set aside, unless someone's dealing with an AC out there, you know, a 13-year-old or 14-year-old, there's a lot of it going around. I actually would shy away from step-ups. I think kids find step-ups particularly boring, and it's hard to get them to do it right. Whereas adults, it's a very great entry point because adults are often more afraid than children. So you can actually start split squats, provided they don't have any injuries, much quicker with children than you can with adults, I find. The step up for an adult, you're kind of rebuilding back to the range of motion that you're starting with as a kid. And if right. we're doing the KO2 calf raise, we're already building that, that knee over toe position really strong. So we got the knee over toe calf raise. Plus, we don't want to add too much. We want a very small number of tools for a youth athlete. We don't want to add something that then starts making it boring or tedious. I think, um, I think the other thing that I would add, which is going to be my sort of, you know, and I think Marcel would nod, you know, I think, you know, the Nordic is the, is the chin up of the lower body. So I'm going to go to the chin up. And I think there's something yeah. absolutely amazing. It's a bit of a cheat, but I think it's a really great cheat provided that the child isn't obese or overweight. Then I wouldn't enter with that because I think it's a hard thing to get a win with children. You want to get wins. So actually working on chin ups and getting young kids to get chin ups oh, yeah. is an amazing, amazing thing. And you just do the eccentric work. It's the same thing as you do with adults. And there's always a, a question with new coaches on the policy. And I just messaged someone um, where where the key is eccentric work. And you can get kids to do it. And the second they get one chin up and then two chin ups. And then you see the adults watching them in the gym that are looking. And the kid gets three. We have one of our, we have a 10 year old jujitsu athlete. She's a phenomenal little athlete. She's tiny. I think she weighs, I can't remember if she weighs more than 60 pounds. She's popping out three chin ups. And, you know, she's a phenomenal athlete. She's great. She's, she's like tiny. And she, you know, we've been working, one of our coaches has been working on it with her and she's, she's great. And, and that's the thing when you get young kids to be able to do chin-ups, they go and show off. We have another 10 year old kid that is blasting. He did nine chin-ups the other day and he started doing two and he, he's just, he goes to his gym, he goes to his class and he shows his other kids and they can show off with this and it gets them to have pride Huge. in what their body can do. I know what it's like as a kid when you can't do the chin-up, so then you avoid it, and then you get even weaker. So we've already illuminated simple goals. You get your chin-up and your Nordic. I mean, like they're almost like two opposing qualities. Master both. Dramatically, you know, you're 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 separating yourself from the path and giving yourself a, a huge opportunity. And I and I'm just for mine now, and we'll keep going then to Keegan is I'm throwing in the, the tip bar, and the reason I'm throwing it in is that I don't think kids are going to want to do the wall tibialis raises. I think that's also too boring. I think I think the KOT calf raise is already like a great, like getting them to buy into that. I think, um, I think that them seeing themselves lifting some weight there and like feeling it flex and seeing the measurable, you have an awesome opportunity with kids, which is that they are going to get stronger no matter what but we want to make sure that we're proportionally getting stronger. If you're going to train the chin up, well, we need the lower leg to be getting strong as well. So as soon as we start strength training, 
I'm throwing in the tip bar and they're going to, they're going to see their progress and that's going to fuel them and make th that's going to build their, their ego even more to see some of that, that load going on the bar there for the lower leg. And I think it gives a nice mixture. We got the KOT calf raise, which is like body weight, or they could hold a dumbbell, but even sets of 25 is like sets of high reps, single leg, knee over toe, like legit. And then the Nordic is body weight, but very challenging, the chin up. So that's what we have so far, right? Um, KOT calf raise, split squat, um, Nordic and hamstring curl machine, chin up, tip bar. This is like six phenomenal ingredients so far. So, so Keegan, is there anything else we're missing? What else here? I would do it as a circuit is probably the thing that I would add. You were just talking about sets of reps. You could either do it to, to near failure or until it gets kind of slow. Uh, I wouldn't push it until like proper failure, but you know, there's got to be a different number of reps potentially for each movement. I would either do it dense style so that you keep keep things moving like it, but in a circuit, or just go until sort of to fatigue and then move between the different exercises. When you're doing some of those smaller muscle groups, then you don't get the lactic acid effect. Sometimes when you think circuits, you think vomit. But if you're doing tear raises and 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 sort of calf raises, then it's not as uh, taxing yeah. in terms of lactic acid and uh, and flows nicely. Again, like rather than boring strength training where you sit around for like resting between exercises, like you got to rest between exercises with a 10 year old, like what are they, they going to do? You know, they got to cut. They got to start asking for iPad or something. You, you better have like a, a little mini basketball hoop or something if you're going to rest between exercises. And and to be honest, like I would go that way with it. I would I would have them doing some juggling, some foot juggling, some hand juggling. Link. I'm a big fan of the, the skill to and stuff. Get an adjustable basketball hoop in there. But anytime they dunk it or whatever, you then challenge them to do that same dunk off the other leg. Boom. Jump balance. Kobe Bryant, most career dunks off all four plants ever. He's the most balanced dunker ever. And I bet if he grew up in America and wasn't playing soccer, that would not have happened. He already would have been he'd balanced and favoring a certain side. because so, so once you get a certain dunk, it's not can we go higher, it's can you get it off the other leg. And you keep that in the gym and it keeps it fun for them. Marcel, you know from the OG, the kids wanted to just dunk all day. They didn't even want to work out. But honestly, that's a freaking workout. It's maximum effort. They don't need sports-specific, like, all kind of weird-looking stuff. They need to, you know, master jumping. Soccer teaches that ambidextrous. See, you really want to be good off your left foot in, in soccer if you're right-footed. Like, it's it's a huge part of it. Maybe that's part of why I stopped with Kobe because you would, if you were playing soccer in Italy and you could only kick with one foot, you know, he would have been looked down on. So he would have had that kind of built into his psyche in his youth. And, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why he did decide to master everything and, and have that ability. Um, as far as the movement goes, I would probably go for the, like, deficit push-up. It's a beautiful exercise. It feels great, great for the shoulders. It starts to build a lot of the foundation, being able to support load, develop the... The structural abilities to yeah to to handle force uh, before we get to the bench presses the behind the neck and the it but it, it brings starts to have that range where the behind the neck is not going to feel bad if you've been to a deficit version on the on the on the push ups so that'll be my my uh, next addition there yeah no that's an important addition you know with ATG we build essentially the decelerators of the shoulder too how do you do that in a way that's not boring for a kid or do we do that and and also, same with like the lower back. How and when do we start building the lower back? So basically, like ATG after knees, 
we see a lot of success stories of people rebuilding their lower backs and their shoulders with similar concepts. But I'm going to be honest, I don't, you know, I'm more focused on the, the lower extremity stuff. So when it comes to the lower back and shoulder for youth, I'm kind of blank. What do you guys think? So for me, definitely, I agree with Keegan. I, I was going to pick the push up next, but he beat me to the punch because it, it balances out really well with the chin up. We're already doing a pulling motion. So it's good to, you know, strengthen the opposite and the pressing motion. Yep. So from here, you know, I'm very much a guy that is a huge advocate for structural balance. Like if you watch my Instagram, that's almost the only thing that I focus on. So I would focus on doing something with the external rotator. It is a little bit of a tougher exercise to get them enthusiastic about, but it's funny. I do feel like if you take a child and you, you try to address them in a very like logical way and try to give them reasons as to the why of doing things, you will very likely find a child that will do exactly what you tell them. And that's what I did. I mean, I ran a class with like 15 kids ranging between the ages of like five. I have video of a five-year-old doing Nordics. It was insane. Uh, I would run yeah. to the back room because that many kids trying to teach that, like I would literally go hide in the back room and then just peek out and, and Marcel had them all like ducklings doing like Nordics and split squats with perfect form. <laughs> when it comes to, to kids, you, you got to get in communication with them and figure out, okay, like, what is it that you are trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? You're going to find kids that want to be dancers. You're going to have kids that want to be tennis players. You're going to have kids that want to be baseball players. So whenever it comes to, I mean, if you have a kid coming in for a strength training, that's a pretty focused kids on trying to get some kind of result. So if you show them the why and you're like, okay, let's, let, let's look at your body and let's look at the pot, the body that you're trying to make. And so, for the external rotator, I would show the kids the shoulders of the athletes of which they aspire to be like. And so very often, you know, in dancing, depending on whether you're male or female, there's a lot of times where the upper body has to support the movement. And so having strong, you know, external rotators and, you know, that the joint in general, very well developed is going to help them execute their sport better. So I would choose the external rotator. But whenever it comes to trying to instruct a child to do exercise, treat them just as you would as an adult. You, you will be surprised by some kids that will just willingly take that information and see it because they can see their bodies, which are adolescent a lot of the times, and see an athlete and be like, wow, that body is completely different. And here's this person telling me that if I do this exercise, it's going to get me closer to what I am saying I want to do. Yeah. And you'll find kids doing it. So I'm going to add the external rotator and you'll find kids will willingly do it if you give them a very clear explanation as to why. Ben, shoulders, back, anything work, anything else that we've missed? Well, I, I just want to add a sort of a couple things and sort of agree with what Ke I love what everyone's saying. And, you know, what Keegan's saying is the way he does a dance or a circuit style. I think to, to get into a bit of the nitty gritty is to sort of understand this interesting point. And it, I think it helps with parents reticence to allow their kids to do it they allow their kids to go and run on a basketball court or on a soccer field or rugby or anything like that and i i, I actually played rugby contact rugby when i was seven that's when i started so you know and my parents but my parents were whatever it's not like they were that concerned but but we understand the data that it when we sprint it's even as kids it's up to six times the amount of your body weight impact so you you know that's and then they go crashing into each other so the magical thing for kids is actually putting on muscle. Now we already know that what we do really helps the tendon, like 
the joint structure. That's ATG magic. But with the circuit style program, they're going to put muscle on. And that's the genius of it is that that's actually armor for children and they go and smash into each other. So an injury prevention protocol is really putting on more muscle and taking care of their ligaments and joints, which is what we do. So I think that's something that we have to mention, which is, okay, you're going to come in and you're a small little kid. And that small rugby player child that I had, and it was 11, is now like, he's not huge, but he's muscular and extremely lean. So he's got armor when he gets smacked. It doesn't hurt as much. So I think that's just something that we should all have in our repertoire of explanations for the parents that are invariably going to pay for the thing. That we can say, here's also a return on your investment. So there's all the details of the exercises. But I think the genius of putting them all together in a circuit style, where you're not trying to get them to vomit, but you're invariably trying to put muscle around the joints and ligaments and all that stuff, I think is a very important thing. But I think Marcel's point stands. It's actually not that different than what we do with adults. With the caveat that I said about the step ups, I, I think the other thing that we we didn't even mention, sleds are magical for children. That's gonna because because the thing is it's you know I love calling it a big win of a tongue and cheek. It's a it's a moron movement, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's actually a brilliant thing. You don't have to talk about technique. It's just hey, pull it there and back. Some of my kids do it, and it's great. And they're like four and a half and five or whatever, and anyone can do it. You just do it lighter and do it. And some people can do it faster, and some people do it you know, uh, you know, slower or whatever it might be, but it's not just for adults. It's a magical tool that allows, allows kids to just work and push and go fast and feel it and, and push against resistance. And I think it does so many things. And that's also, Frank didn't hear would be, I would drink. I would get rid of the step up. Each technique. I would get rid of the step up. Work out of that because if they're going to slide. Exactly. So anyway, that's my, exactly. but that's the other thing that I want to mention sort of on a final note is, or whatever is, is is what Keegan said, which is the 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 desire to specialize. I think is a mistake, and I think a significant. And what you're saying with the overuse injury, and, and I'm just quoting Charles when he told me, "Let children. Anyone has any coaches have children. Let them play and try to get them to do all kinds of different sports until they're 12. Then if they have any decision, 12 is a good time where they can choose to start to specialize in some of the skill stuff. But what they're going to have done is, as long as you haven't neglected their ability to run and swim and climb and play with a ball and kick a ball and throw a ball and jumble or whatever it might be. They have those abilities to move in space and then they can pick this, the, the particular game that they like. And then we can get into, you know, Miss Ben Patrick, Mr. Basketball at like, you know, 16, 17, you know, Mr. Mr. Shooting Florida, you get into the specifics of the details of the sport. And, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think those are things that I think are worthwhile to think about, but, but I think Marcel's point six, talk to the children like they're adults. It doesn't mean be too serious. You can joke with the kids. They, they like that. But give them a reason why they're doing this. If you want to throw harder, rotator is the way to do it. If you want to, you know, run faster, chin-ups and your split squats and your, you know, back extension, that's what's going to get you to run faster and you're Nordic. So, so a simple explanation is like, oh, okay. Then they often go do it and they work hard. So that's, and, and the idea of how to do that is Keegan's idea, which is like bounce around different exercises so they don't feel bored and don't let them rest too much because their brains will go elsewhere. And make them work hard and they're, they're going to do it. So yeah, I think that, that's a, a magical thing. Anyway, two questions. So typically how an ATG program is made is it's trying to take a good workable formula and then it's run extensively in real life. So the, everything we're describing and what I will type up as, um, as this formula would then be subject to it actually being used and seeing, um, you know, what breaks best, you know, time-wise and, and such and such. My point is that 
would you put the eight or so exercises in one circuit and do it once or twice a week or would you break it up that's kind of like like let's get down to the details of like of how like so keegan how would you break that oh and before that keegan i know my kids are going to need a hip flexor exercise and stall bars are pretty cool because you hang so you're getting like extra grip work and then you can you can make it really comfortable with a mat against the stall bars and then it gives the kids like a goal of getting those toes to the bar without it being like like a kid's not going to want to strap up a monkey foot no no offense but i would but also a monkey foot is more like an isolation exercise the hip flexors as a whole and your abs as a whole with the stall bars alone you can get pretty jacked ab hip flexors rectus femoris now you don't have to agree with that but what hip flexor would you use i mean i got hip i got stall bar idea from you and 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 Ashley, who was one of my mentors as well, on like the calisthenics side and flexibility side. And that, that is one of the things we used at the OG ATG. And it, it's cheap and simple to install. Everything we've described so far, a parent could install in their garage. No problem. Everything we've described. The other one that I like is uh, doing, you know, it's almost a variation on the L-stip, but I would bundle these in. So when you do your chin-ups, you do toaster bar. When you do dips, you also do some knees to shoulders. So you get us in the parallel push up. You could also do some L sit action there and like fold that position. I mean, that's that would be the cheap buy in, would be you already have the parallels for the full range push up. So sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, that that's that definitely, yeah, that definitely works. One, yeah, there's so bent knee variation of that is really good for kind of the shorter position. The shorter positions. Yeah, where it's generally weakest. So yeah, I, I like that uh, that idea that it needs to shoulders, and and you can get it on on both. You can get it on your chin ups and on your dips, or you do push ups. And so yeah, I, th I think that works well to go to combine like that. And that's something I encourage coaches and parents to do is don't be afraid to combine things together and and make small experiments. Like I like double leg KOT calf raises. And that can easily become something like your Romani ribs. I know we try to keep it really simple with it, just giving some food for thought for where it might go. Yeah, After yeah. we've done what we've explained today for a while, you know, there's there's a lot of subtle variations that can keep it really interesting and, and make it fun. And, you know, you can put exercises in different sequences. Uh, if you want to target the same muscle, you know, do, do more like a giant set where you could do a bunch of different calf lower leg exercises in series. If the kids get a little bit older and they want to put some more size on an area, like do those things back to back in a circuit and then do the upper stuff. Mix it up. You could just put the, the sled and chin up one day or something and like yeah. and like twenty minutes, how many times can you I don't I don't know, but the point is like there's no I love that coming up. Yeah. Yeah. We're not trying to say that like the sex and reps is an is an art. We believe that yes, 